Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Right now, that you would cover me uh, with, 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 this, with this anointing to preach your word, God. I pray that you would fill my mouth and my mind with the things that would honor you. And I ask you to give us ears to hear what you say to us, God. Be our teacher now from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the book of Micah. And it is a, a tiny book. Micah is one of the minor prophets as opposed to what other. If there's minor prophets, then there's probably what? Major prophets. But Micah preached in an interesting time in the, the, the family of God's history. He, he was a contemporary. He, he was preaching at the same time uh, Hosea was preaching to the northern tribes. Uh, Micah was preaching to the, the southern tribe. He was preaching to... Uh, Judah. Isaiah was also preaching to Judah, but he was preaching in, in the palace. Micah, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if this is the only reason I like him, but if you read commentaries about Micah, most of them tend to point out Micah was a country preacher. I just like the sound of that. And Isaiah was a palace preacher. My, Micah was talking to people out in, in the outskirts and Isaiah was talking in the palace. I don't know how many of y'all know this, but Isaiah, by many commentators' speculation, was the nephew of the king. His father was the brother of the king. So the, the verbiage, the wordiness of Isaiah, very uh, polished writing, very, very uh, eloquent writing in the book of Isaiah. He was the palace preacher, but today we're reading out of the country preacher. Uh, before I get into this text, and I'm just going to go down these verses and teach a little bit this morning, but does anybody know what the prophet's message was? All the prophets had the same message. Somebody said what? Repent. Get right or else. That was the message of every prophet. Get right because you've been wrong and judgment is coming. Get right before it's too late. When people call themselves prophets today, if you see somebody on a billboard, Prophet Jones is going to be preaching uh, at the Jacksonville Coliseum. Come and get your miracle. Prophets weren't handing out miracles. Prophets were declaring, God's about to lop your head off if you don't straighten up and fly right. So be careful about chasing prophets, but I'll just give you this list. You won't remember it, but you, some of it might stick with you. Um, of all the prophets in the Bible, I'm going to break down for you real quick the major prophets versus the minor prophets. Here's the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amah, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. The minor prophets are also sometimes called the twelve because guess how many minor prophets there were. See, you learned something. You came to church today and you learned something because if I'd asked you before I told you that, uh, you probably didn't know that there were 12. Now, you should know this because I've taught you this. Maybe you were here, maybe you weren't. 
Why are some prophets called major prophets and some prophets called minor prophets? The size of the book. That's it. It's not that one was, one was more uh, relevant than the other. It was just based on the volume of material that they let out. Now, Micah let out a large volume of Scripture, even though he was a minor prophet. And we're going to look at chapter 6 and these eight verses that I read in your hearing. Let's start back in verse 1, try to get something from the Word today. In verse 1, it says, Listen to what the Lord is saying, colon. Now, I tell you all the time, probably every week, pay attention to what? It will perfect your understanding. If you read without paying attention to punctuation, you're going to fly right through it too fast. You're not going to get it down in your spirit. You're not going to take it in bite-sized chunks. It's not going to stick with you. So you've got to slow your reading down. And one of the best ways to do that is by paying attention to the punctuation. So every time you see punctuation, stop. Chew on that phrase because you need to study the Bible phrase by phrase. It's like eating food bite by bite. You, you, you get it deep inside you, and it's nourishment. Look, look, look at the first phrase. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Is that relevant in, in October of 2022? Or is that just some thousands of year old stuff? No, this is always what we need to be doing. That right there could be the whole message. Listen to what the Lord is saying. And we all should enter in immediately to massive repentance, crying, God, I haven't listened to you like I should. Because how many people in the room know we haven't listened to God like we should? So he said, listen to what the Lord is saying. Now, get, get into this specific thing right now, because what we're about to see is a courtroom scenario. Say courtroom. We're going to see a courtroom scenario. Now, y'all know uh, that have been around for a while. I have very active mind. Um, when, when I read, uh, I, I see stuff in my mind. I make a movie out of some things. Um, this is a movie scene being played out in these six verses. And the Lord tells the people, stand up and state your case against me. Now, here's what's crazy. Do you know if God was here and he said, all right, abundant life, stand up and tell me what you don't like about me. Somebody would be bold enough to raise a hand and have a response. Is it hot in here to anybody? We need some air. I don't think the air is working a bit. Did it? I got people fanning. Sweat rolling down my back. Um, courtroom situation. He said, stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. Uh, in, in that culture, mountains and hills were considered um, the foundations of the earth. They were powerful. They were majestic. He said, let the very foundation of the world witness what you have to say against me. I wonder if God said, tell me everything that you're mad with me about. How many of y'all know people get mad at God? Oh, y'all don't want to admit it. Here, here's the thing. God already knows. If you've ever been mad at God, I've had people tell me in my office and in, in different situations, well, I hate to even say it, but I've just been mad with God. I always tell them the same thing. We well, may as well say it. God already knew. I mean, you ain't hiding that from God. Uh, sometimes you know when your kids are upset with you. Sometimes you know when your significant other is upset with you. Sometimes you don't. But God always knows. 
and he said, tell me your case against me. Listen, listen to verse 2. Oh, well, hold on. Stay with verse 1 before I get off that. I, what did they say? Does anybody see anybody say anything after verse 1? After the word complaints? God offered people a chance to stand up and say why they're mad at him. And nobody said anything. Let me tell you something. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. If God were to ask you, what are you mad at him about? You may as well just, fl just flush it on out. Go ahead, and, go ahead and say it. Because this didn't go right. This didn't. I'm mad at this. I'm mad at that. I'm mad at the other thing. But in verse 2, he said, and now mountains listen to the Lord's complaint. So he offered him a chance and nobody spoke up. Do you realize when it's your turn to talk, you need to talk? I can't tell you how many counseling sessions I've sat in where a husband and a wife sit there, almost always say the same thing. Okay, what are we meeting about? Now, I already know what we're meeting about, but I just want them to, who, who, who's going to go first? That's all the wife right there. I mean, the husband just sitting there like. So I always say, you know, all right, well, we'll start with the wife because you're the one that called for the meeting. You're the one that's mad about everything. And go ahead and get it out. And then she gets it out. And I, I, I look at the husband. I'm like, so what's your take on all that? Nothing I can say. She's going to refute it. And then he clams down. She pipes up or he pipes up. She clams down. Uh, listen, don't try to keep a secret out of stuff that God already knows. If you are upset with God, start telling him every, I just dare you. I dare you. Get on your hands and knees and say, oh, great God of heaven, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, creator of all that there is, I'm mad at you. Just try that for three days in a row. You're going to realize that mm, this is the one time where the people did the right thing. And the Bible says that we have these stories for our example so we can learn from them. And this great courtroom scene is a great example for us because God just, he gave him a second. Nobody chimed up. So he said, okay, and now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. Now, we know for sure, well, let me ask you. Does God change? Can he change? He can't change. It's not just that he doesn't change. He cannot. He said he, he's the Lord. He changes not. He's God and he cannot change. He's always the same. He treats people the same. He's consistent. So if God had a case against his people thousands of years ago, guess what God's got today? Got a case against his people. Why? Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you know people have been people for the longest? People have been people for the longest, and, and, and all with the same issues. It's so crazy. I've told you all this before, but it just blows my mind because I, I actually saw it on a podcast. Um, this survey where this uh, one group went out and they surveyed thousands of college seniors across the country, and they asked them this question. Did slavery begin in America and is slavery uniquely an American problem? And over 70% of them said yes. These are our bright minds of the future. Uh, slavery's been around forever. What about drunkenness? Y'all think drunkenness is a new problem? Drunkenness has been around forever. What about hoeing? 
Boy, if there's one word I love to ghetto up, it's homonger. Technically, that's whoremonger, but that's just a lot of, you know, articulation. Homonger been around from the what? What? What about? Uh, they call it. Anybody know what the the oldest profession in the world is? There it is. Y'all, y'all think prostitution just new? An American problem? These issues have been going on and on. You, you think kids hating their parents is new? Do you think parents doing the best they can is new? You, you, you think people driving each other crazy? No, it's all the same. And God is the same. And the same case he had against them, he still got against his people today. And he is bringing charges. Whew, man, I just got something jumped up in me. You won't get it like I get it. I probably should keep it to myself because it won't mean anything to you. But, but I, I just remembered that the Bible calls Jesus our advocate. Anybody know what an advocate is? Anybody can bring charges against me because I got a lawyer named Jesus Christ that's going to get me off because he knows the judge. So he's, he's bringing charges against us today. And here, here's, here's what he's charged them with. He, he's charging them with rejection and rebellion. He's charging them because they've rejected him and they rebelled against him. So if they rejected God, guess what people are doing, Christians are doing in 2022? If they rebelled against God thousands of years ago, guess what Christians are still doing that God's bringing a case on right now? Still rebelling. Verse 3 said, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? That's a good question. That's a good question. I can remember when Gail was in the hospital and she was dying, and she was just a sweet person and always had a big smile, and people loved her. She was literally the spoonful of sugar that made me go down. Uh, Everybody just liked her and all the nurses, and people would ask crazy stuff like, you know, because she was 34 years old when she got diagnosed. She died at 36. And a lot of people just kept asking. I don't know why they all knew the same question to ask. Does this make you angry at God? Does this, does this try your faith? Does, 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 does being in this situation, does, does it make you want to give up on your faith? And she always had the right answer. No, God's been better to me than I deserve. And he did enough for me at Calvary. This, this is just a temporary deal that I'm going through. But... She didn't have a mindset of, look what God has done to me. Oh, if I had my look what God has done to me, O-meter. Oh, I got a closet full of measuring devices. I would, I would just start with Glam Graham, GG, White Joyce, Joyce Harris. I just hang it on her neck. I work all the way around back to Jessica, and I just want to see, where are you on what is God done bad to you because here's the craziness i have sat for 40 years and counseled people in this book uh i I took my first full-time job in ministry in 1982 and it's amazing to me how many people believe that god has given them the short end of the stick if you don't get anything out of today's message get this we got the better half we got everything when we got jesus Uh, The Bible says that he bore our sins. He paid for our iniquities. That he took our place. That we 
uh, have become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Do you know you got the better end of that deal? You have no reason to be upset at God. Well, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Don't have to. I already know God is good. And if I say it, somebody's going to be mad. We deserve worse than what we've got. We See, old people understand this. Old, old people used to talk about only two things you can count on. Death and taxes. They, they knew that's, that's, that's my lot in life. I'm, one day I'm going to die, and up until then I'm going to pay taxes. They, they weren't looking for easy street the way this uh, coddled generation is now. I hope you brought your therapy dog with you because it's going to get spicy. Uh, I, I hope you're not easily triggered because you, you just might get set off. And, and God asked him, what have I done to you? I'm shocked at how many people come in and, and start blaming God for so much stuff and criticizing how their life's going. And they honestly, they don't feel like they made any bad decisions. Trying to get someone to admit that the, that the life they're living now is probably based on a lot of bad things they did in the past. And now, the, the, you know, uh, the, the chickens are coming home to roost. They, they don't want to admit that. But God asked them. What have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? So, you got to ask yourself, what has God done to you that has caused you to become tired of him? Well, see, because 50% or more of y'all already know you're not coming back tonight. Why? Well, I went to church once. So I mean, I'm tired of being in church all the time. How are you tired of God? You're not tired of television. How are you tired of God, but you're not tired of your hobbies? He said, what have I done to make you tired of me? And they're they still not saying anything. So he says with an exclamation point, remember, pay attention to punctuation, answer me. Who is getting heated now? It's getting heated now. The father's raised his voice. He brought a case. He, he put his finger on their issue and here's the reality about God you start spending time with God he's going to show you remember what the psalmist said search me try me show me what's wrong with me God's going to do that for you if you ever hang out with him and the sad reality is most people don't want to know because most people don't want to change but he said answer me so God wants an answer now I don't want you to answer out loud but I'm not going to rush through this today. I want you to think about it in your own life. Have you ever been tired of your Christian walk? Have you ever just been, ugh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, well, I'm, I'm going to let somebody answer because I, I, I don't want a room full of liars. Um, anybody in this room ever felt like, I, I'm just tired. Feels like I'm the only one doing everything, and I, I, I just, I just need a break. Anybody ever felt like they needed a break from servitude? Anybody ever felt like they deserved a break from servitude? Let me tell you something. The answer to that is, you don't, and you don't. We should not be tired of serving the Lord. Jesus said, "None of you have resisted unto blood." We, we should not feel like we're the only ones. Uh, see that? That's the boo game of the devil. He wants to trick you. Re remember what Elijah said, I'm the only one. Everybody's forsaken God, I'm the only one left. He's like, hey, you ain't the only one. I got hundreds of people preaching the truth and serving me. Hear me good, you're not the only one. You're not doing more than anybody else has ever done. And you should not be tired 
of God. I was talking to a friend this week and uh, about this issue of, because I hear it so much, burnout. Burn, well, I'm just burnout, you know. I just, I, I need to step down. Uh, I, maybe my season is coming to it. All these stupid things that people say that have no Christianity around them. They're not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible did anybody ever do any such foolishness like that. And I want to tell you what I talked about earlier this week. You will never burn out if the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you ever start feeling tired of doing what you do for the Lord, if you ever start feeling tired about serving God, now some of y'all like serving him. You're lucky I'm here. You got a long way to go. But if you ever start feeling that way, here's what you need to understand. You're not close enough to God right now. Because that tired feeling comes when, when he's not refilling your cup. That tired feeling comes where you're not sitting under the spout where the glory comes out. That tired feeling comes when the joy of the Lord is not your strength and you're just trying to keep doing everything that you're supposed to be doing in your own power while living a carnal, selfish, fleshly life. And people don't want to own up to it. So God threw two words and an exclamation point at him. He said, answer me. Uh, in my house, that, 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 that you know, would, would be phrased, boy, you better say something. And I wonder, are you tired? What has God done? What, what did God ever do to you to make you think that you shouldn't serve him more than what you're already doing? Now, they give no answer because no answer can be, for, can be given. Verse 4 says, and then God makes this list. God makes this list of uh, things. He says, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. That's a picture of our salvation. First and foremost, you ought to know if you're saved that God didn't have to save you. You ought to know it's just his mercy. Mercy is easily defined as not getting the punishment you rightly deserve. And God's mercy ought to keep you fired up enough to start your day with God, keep God on your mind all day long, and end your day with God every day. He said, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery then he goes on and says i sent moses aaron and miriam to help you don't you remember my people how king balak of moab tried to have you cursed and how balaam son of beor blessed you instead and remember your journey from acacia grove to gilgal when i the lord did everything i could to teach you about my faithfulness so here god states these four specific things that he did for me he rescued them from egypt that's a picture of salvation has it or is anybody in this room Sure, do you know that you know that you know that God rescued you from the path you were on, picked you up out of the miry clay, and set your feet on a solid rock? That should be enough, but we're in a courtroom. So the lawyer keeps piling on. The, the, the lawyer just keeps going here. He, not, not only that, he said, he said I, I gave you leaders to guide you. You have never been alone in the body of Christ. If you feel like you're alone, that's some personality issues, that's some self-esteem issues, that's some not being close enough to God. I had somebody tell me that they wish they had more friends at church. I said, well, that's cool. They said, yeah, I just, I got all this free time on my hands. I said, well, now, now we've stumbled into something. You got a lot of free time on your hands, but you never come up to serve at the church? I love that old Babby Mason song. Anybody ever heard of Babby Mason? Uh, y'all don't listen to good music. 
Uh, Babby Mason is one of the greatest African-American female singers in, in the history of the Lord's Church. She sang a song called Stop by the Church Sometime. Y'all remember that song? Oh, great. Some of you just ought to stop by the church sometime. There are times in my life where I go back to, uh, I, I used to go, even, even after Hillcrest sold, I used to go sit in the parking lot sometimes. I'd just be on that side of town, and i think, I'm just going to go sit in that parking lot where God was so real to me, where God was so good to me, and I, I'm just going to remember how great God is. I'm going to tell you this. The average person who thinks that they wish they had more to do, wish they had more friends, you ain't made a good enough friend out of Jesus yet. I mean, it's cute because it rhymes, but God and me make a majority. Uh, well, live that way then. We're not content with that, though. We're, we are so not content with that. And I've been trying to get women to understand for years the reason why the divorce rate is so high in the world today is because women have been lied to and made to think that they're going to marry a man and he's going to be the answer to their problems. God didn't create a man to be the answer to your problems. God didn't create a man to fix all the baggage that you're carrying around. Well, well then why would I even hook up with him? Be, because two are better than one. And, and it's not good for you to be alone. But we need to see God as our source, God as our fixer, God as our rescuer, God as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He, he said, I gave you leaders. Not only do you have God, but you've always had leaders in the body of Christ through books, tapes, internet, podcasts. You can always uh, cue in. Man, there are some great preachers in the world today. Do you know anybody who ever spent 10 minutes preaching in American uh, churches could make a fortune? Africa is desperate for any American. If you want to put a Bible study together, you can make $300,000 over the next year. Just fly to Africa. They'll pay you exorbitant sums of money just to stand up and speak Americanized English and put that uh, Western culture Christianity on them. There's great preachers in this country. There's always been leaders. He went on to say the third thing he did is he reversed the intended curse against them. Oh, man, I'm not going to labor on this, but I'm going to tell you something. Stop feeding your mind theological garbage. Stop feeding your... I have people come in my office and say, Pastor, I just, I just can't seem to get past my drinking. I can't seem to get past my whatever. And I'm like, well, you just, you just need to trust. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's my father's fault. Because, you know, the Bible says that the sins of the fathers will be passed down to the children until the third and the fourth generation. And people, people talk about, well, it's a generational curse on me. That's why I'm a hoe, because my grandmama was a hoe. I don't think anybody's grandmother that we know was hoed up the way these hoes are hoeing today. Granny wouldn't even know how to get in that groove. Stella got her groove back, but Granny just wasn't, wasn't doing much of that. But here's the reason. Stop feeding your mind this garbage that you have a generational curse. The Bible says cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Jesus took your curse from you. You don't have some magic spell cast on you because grandmama was a hoe. You don't have some magic devil against you because daddy was a 
drinker. The Bible also, after it talked about passing, revisiting the sins of the forefathers to the children of the third and fourth generation, the, God later went on to say that he will no longer visit the sins of the forefathers to the third and the fourth generation, that the fathers will stand guilty for themselves and the children will stand guilty for themselves. Get this bad theology. Oh, I just, I got this generational, I, I'm going to a conference to learn how to break this generational curse out of me. I'm a procrastinator because I come from a long line of, it's our curse. No, it's not. That's, that's garbage theology. It's nowhere in the Bible. You, you can't find one decent preacher on the planet that ever wrote a book about it. It's new age voodoo trying to make you feel less guilty about your own drama. I knew y'all were going to be quiet after I stopped to catch my breath. Oh, people don't like that kind of truth. Whoo, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I told you. I hope you brought your, th your, your, your therapy dog with you. Because the reality is people don't want it to be their fault. Everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody wants to say, well, I would have done so much better if I would have had all these people against me. Probably not. You might have. You might not have. Um, all of us have made horrific choices in life that could have landed us in prison or in the cemetery. But we want to act like it's always somebody else's fault. God, God said that he reversed the intended curse against them. Listen, people are, people are warring against you, that's for sure. The devil is using people to come against you. There's always going to be haters. Haterade is free. Somebody's pouring it all the time. But if you know that you love God and God loves you, what difference does, do the haters make? He, he, he came to reverse everything people are trying to do. He brought them, last thing he said, he brought them into the promised land. This is a progression of the life of a Christian. First thing, you got to get saved. You got to come out of slavery to sin. You got to come out of the bondage of your old life. That's Egypt. Then you got to get under some decent teaching from the Word of God. Now, a lot of churches get confused on how they should treat their man or woman of God. Some people don't even call them. Now, now real deep churches don't. A lot, a lot of churches don't call him a man of God anyway. That's just Brother Joe. Hey, Brother Joe. Uh, now, the deeper, deep churches, they don't call their, 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 their man a man of God either. Anybody know what they call him? The man of God. They might be tiptoeing toward the edge of man worship. I, I, I've seen churches where there was no respect for the pastor at all, even though the Bible said that you should honor those who teach the word to you with double honor, twice the pay, and all the respect, uh, and, and they refuse to. He's a man just like I'm a man. Uh, well, with different calling. And then there are other churches that just go to the extreme. I've been in churches. I've preached in churches that literally had less than 10 people in it. The pastor and his wife were two of them, and the three people walking in with the pastor. What I, I was there one time, literally. It might have been 12 people in the whole church. One guy was walking in behind the pastor. Twelve people in the whole room. That's counting me. And he's carrying his Bible like this. The other guy was carrying his towel like this. And the other guy was just walking in. I guess he just wanted to be in the game. I mean, if you're pastoring 12 people, you probably don't need three armor bearers. 
Um, this is right now Pastor Appreciation Month. Today, uh, well, I guess tomorrow, is the last day of Pastor Appreciation Month. I got pastor friends that got cars this month. Uh, I know a, I got a pastor buddy who got a $40,000 gold chain. And the church is struggling for money, but they loosed up forty grand to buy him some jewelry. Um, I've seen churches go overboard with, they call it honor, but it, it becomes worship. But here's, here's what the scripture says. In 2 Chronicles 20, 20, the Bible says, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe in his prophets, and so shall you prosper. Your prosperity is linked to your spiritual leader. If you don't have a spiritual leader, you got no prosperity. He said, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. The way you get established in heaven is by belief in the Lord. Not by coming to church, not by paying tithes and offerings, not by working in the nursery, not by doing food and clothing. You are established in heaven salvation-wise by believing in the Lord. But the second part of that verse says, believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. If you want prosperity spiritually, if you want prosperity emotionally, financially, relationally, physically, you've got to start having a different way that you view leadership. God brought this point up to him. He's like, hey, I gave you leaders to help you. Everybody wants to point out how bad the preacher is. Uh, let, 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 me, let me just make a case for preachers right now. Preachers are human beings too. Preachers are sinners too. Preachers are wrestling with their own demons. Preachers are trying to hold on to God just like everybody else is trying to hold on to God. But the God of the Bible is God who established leadership, elders, and deacons. Read the Bible. Elders and deacons throughout. And here's the thing. Anybody know what the devil hated most? Authority. He didn't like being told that he wasn't it unto himself. So instead of doing what he was told, hmm. He did whatever. He's like a church member. I'll just take my ball and go somewhere else. Well, you shouldn't have brought a ball with you. Just go. You wouldn't have had to take it with you. People get mad and they leave because this generation doesn't know how to embrace authority. God values giving leaders to people. And then the fourth thing he says, I brought you into the promised land. I, I hope that in your journey you, you've come out of slavery to sin, out of bondage. I hope that you have seen God break some curses, some, some, some bad things off your life. I hope that you, you've, you've admired. I was talking to somebody yesterday um, about uh, our first pastor. Uh, my mom, my sister, Connie, we, we were all in a church uh, together. Uh, uh, pastor Benny Moore was our pastor at the Hillcrest Baptist Church on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle off Cassett Avenue. And... I was looking at Joe. Have you seen Joe lately? It's hilarious. His dad, preacher, you know, he had the microphone, so you got to let him say what he wanted to say. He was so overtly favorite. Joe was his favorite. So much. He'd talk about it. And he'd say, people ask me, why is Joe your favorite? He said, because he looks like me. He's good looking. And he's just a joker. Uh, but I, I, I want to tell you this. Um, and and I, I've, I've sent emails, messages to to Joe and, and, and to Miss Moore since, since our pastor died and let them know uh, your family was used by God to change my life for the better. 
And that's what leadership should be doing. A lot of people don't have any leader that has ever helped them for the better because they didn't allow it to happen. This is in God's plan. This is part of the journey. And then the last thing he said is that he brought them into the promised land. I hope if you're here and you're a Christian, you're walking in some promise that God gave you. I hope that you're walking in, in some of the goodness that God has. Like, like the psalmist said, that I, just, I, I long to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to see God show up and show out. I want to see God do great things. But these are the four things he told them. They're like, y'all mad at me? Look at all this stuff I've done for you. So the charges against them are rejection and rebellion in spite of the good things that he's done. Now their response comes in verse 6. Back to the courtroom. They say, what can we bring to the Lord? This is their rebuttal. What can we bring to the Lord? Now the majority of commentators I read behind said that this was sarcasm and bitterness in their mouth. Maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, uh, if, if your boss is telling you blase, 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 and blase, uh, you might just want to come out, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's not warm and friendly. They said, well, what can we bring to the Lord? And then they start going to the ridiculous. What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearly calves? Verse 7, they said, should we offer him thousands of rams? Probably the commentators are right because they didn't have thousands of rams to offer him. They're just being mouthy right now to, to the God that's bringing this case against them. Here's the reality. If you're ever guilty and you know you're guilty, just shut up and take it like a man. Shut up and take it like a woman. Just realize God's right. Everybody else is wrong. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. That ought to be every woman's favorite verse. Trying to reel some of y'all back in. He said, they, they said, should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Now you know there's got to be bitterness and sarcasm coming out of their mouth right now. And here's the crazy thing. There are people who are so far gone spiritually that they'll let some of the crazy stuff come out of their mouth. I have counseled people in this church, before this church, about the behaviors that they were participating in and told them, God is not going to smile on that. And I've had people tell me, I don't care what you think. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says about it. I'm going to do me, me. I'm going to need you to leave before God burns down the whole building with you in it. But people, people are crazy the way they talk back to God. And then they really go to, to, to the crazy. Should we offer should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? This, this, this shows the disrespect that people have for God. And let me tell you this. Just because your life's going bad doesn't give you a right to disrespect God. Just because you're struggling and you're dealing with some stuff that you don't want to deal with gives you no platform to disrespect God, to dishonor God, to stop serving God, to stop being grateful to God, to stop studying, living right, giving right, serving right. God is worth more than all that. So here's the question. What can we do for this God? Let's, let's take it out of the bitterness realm, and let's take it into your realm if you love the Lord. What, what can you do to show your love for God? 
What can you give to God for all the goodness that he has given you? Because here's what I believe. If God demanded some of this hard stuff, there are people in this room that do it. The experts say only 2% of people that attend church on a regular basis actually pay the tithe, uh, a 10%, one-tenth of their income. The Bible says to bring 1%, the tithe, to the Lord's house on the first day of the week. Uh, less, less than 2% of church people do that. Why? Because they don't feel like God deserves well, well, I can't be giving all that money to the Lord. You can't give God a dime out of a dollar, but you expect him to get your carcass up into heaven forever? You, 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 can, you can pay $100, $200 a month to your visa. You can pay seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand, two thousand dollars a month to your mortgage, but you can't give a dime out of a dollar to God? Mm, there, there, there's problems here. But see, I believe this. I believe if God asks us to do something really, really tough, there are people in the room that do it. I know people in this room right now that pay the tithe, and if God would have said pay double tithe first six months out of every year, there are people in this room that would pay 20%. For first, anybody believe I'm telling the truth? If God would have said you give me 90 and you keep 10, I know there's at least one person in this room that would give up the 90 and just live on the 10, and I know I'm not the only one. But God hasn't asked us to do any of this. If God said crawl on broken glass down uh, from Blanding and 103rd to 295 in Blanding, or, or you can't get into heaven, uh, I'm crawling on the glass. Anybody with me? I, I'm not missing heaven. So these people making these ridiculous claims against God, it's no different than today. Bitterness running rampant. Uh, in the church, among people who claim the name of Well, I love the Lord, but... I gave up on organized religion. I'm going to keep saying it as long as God gives me breath. If you have something negative to say about the church of Jesus Christ, you are not close to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost. Cannot be. The Bible says that the followers of Jesus make up the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. And I, I, I can promise you this. It doesn't matter. Scott Mills is probably the most likable guy I've ever met. Um, just honest, hardworking, most decent. I mean, he was an honest, hardworking, decent person uh, before he came to Christ. And, and, can anybody, uh, anybody out there like me? I wasn't none of that before Christ. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I can promise you this. As agreeable as he is, as friendly as he is, as much garbage as he takes from people and still shows up with a smile and works uh, him, himself all the time. He's the first person in the history of this church when, now see, I ain't always been old. In the last 10 years I broke my back twice and my neck once. I ain't always been old and broke down. When Scott retired from the Navy, moved back to North Florida from Iowa, they started coming to church at Abundant Life. We had three and a half acres of land. Every Sunday, I'd show up to preach bright red like a tomato. I had a little tiny lawnmower. I was cutting all the grass by myself. I was cleaning the bathrooms by myself. I was teaching Sunday school because we had Sunday school back then. I was the worship leader. Um, I led the singing. I did all the preaching. Um, made the tapes, folded the, typed the bulletins, folded them up, 
God began to bring people around. The Bible says we ought to give those things to other people so that the pastor can give himself to prayer and study of the word. Scott Mills was the first person God sent along. To, and he said, he noticed me being all sunburnt out, out there every Sunday and seeing me with that little tiny mower. And he said, Pastor, if you let me, I got a, I got a really good riding lawnmower. I, I can just donate to the church, and I can come up here and do that on Saturday so you don't have to spend. It took, hour, it took hours to cut that grass. Hours. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I'll take it. I'll sit in my air-conditioned office, and I'll watch you go around this dust bowl in Clay Hill, Middleburg. And, 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 and you do it. But as, as hardworking and as agreeable and as big a blessing as he is, I promise you, if you try to get close to him, and, and while bad-mouthing his wife, you're out. You, you, you just can't roll up on a man and think you're going to get close to a man and trash his wife and children into the ground every time you get around him. You can't be close to Jesus and hate the church. You can't be close to God and give up on organized religion. Who do you think organized religion? Man, no. God instituted the church. God set forth pastors and elders. God and deacons. God set forth uh, the local church. And here we, we, we got people who just are bitter toward God to the point where they think wrong, they say wrong, they believe wrong, all in an attempt not to take personal responsibility. So they say all this ridiculous stuff. They, God, God's not demanding something hard of us. In verse 6, he says, no, O people. It's not about sacrificing your firstborn. It's not about, you know, all that oil and all that uh, sacrifice of animals. He said, no, O people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Check this out. There's a colon right there, so you got to stop. There's something coming. There's something coming. There's a list coming. That's why there's a colon there. There's, there's three things that God says, this is what God requires of all of his people, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, in and of itself, that doesn't sound very hard, but if you're trying as hard as you can to live wrong, and God's telling you to live right, you're a contradiction against yourself. You, you, you're, you're just swimming upstream. You can't get into flow of what God's got for you because you can't even do the first thing. Let's look at them one at a time. Number one, do what is right. Say, do what is right. This is why, and, and here's the deal. Listen, if you are unsaved and you just want to be rich, you don't want to serve God, give your heart to Jesus, you just want to be rich, start any kind of business at all and use truths from the Bible as your foundation for your company. Because Reverend Ike, he was, a, he was a con artist and a huckster, but he told the truth when he said, I can't lose with what I use. Uh, Spike Lee got rich off saying almost this exact same thing. What did Spike Lee say? Just do the right thing. That caught on like wildfire. Why? Because it's a God-ordained, eternal, biblical principle. Do the right thing. Thing. You ought to get that stuck in your mind. You ought to write that down somewhere. You ought to remind yourself every day. God requires me to do the well. What if you don't want to do the right thing? Guess what? God still requires you to do it. 
God still requires. I told y'all before, uh, I don't know why this stuck out in, in, in my mind of the 45 million beatings I got, but one day my mom had to come pick me up from school, and in, in, in my juvenile brain, I always thought if I could get her talking, get her distracted, she would lose some of that steam coming out her head. See, I didn't grow up with seatbelts. Uh, anybody used to ride in cars without seatbelts? I, I, I didn't grow up with uh, no, no smoking zones. Anybody remember everybody smoking in restaurants? and uh, couldn't eat? Man, remember Jiffy stores? You go on a Jiffy store to pay for your... I remember when Pay at the Pump came out. I thought it was the greatest invention of the world because if you had to go inside a Jiffy store to pay that $10 for your gas in the early 80s, you came out smelling like 12 days of bad tobacco. Man, we riding down the road. My mom, my, her, the whole front of the windshield covered in orange. My, my mom was a chain smoker. God delivered her from it. Uh, she never needed a nicotine gum, never needed a patch. God just delivered her from it. Cold turkey, she set them down. But before she set them down, she, she smoked with all her kids in the car with no seatbelts on. So we're riding home. I can see the smoke all in the car, but I swore about half of it was steam coming out of her mind. She was rightly mad because she, she, she had a, a, a bad kid doing bad things, complicating her life. And I tried to get her talking, and she looked at me, and she said, boy, it don't matter how much you try to say right now. I am going to beat your bleep as soon as we walk in that door. Now, my mom, one of the most straightforward people you're ever going to meet in your life. She said it. Guess what she did? She delivered on that. Listen, you got to do the right thing. People don't want to do the right thing because they think they can talk their way out of it. They think they're not going to get caught. They think they're not going to get in trouble. They think it's not their fault. Listen, you need to get in your mind. Do the right thing. I got no problem with Santa Claus. I don't celebrate Christmas personally. That's not an anti-Christmas sentiment. That's just a personal conviction that I have. It's not theological. It's just what I do. It's, it's our tradition as a family. I got no beef against Santa Claus at all. I, did, I got no beef against hot chocolate. I got no beef against any of that stuff. The only time I, I kind of get like, eh, may, may, maybe these guys, because a lot of preachers are so anti-Christmas, they're like, if you change the letters around in the word Santa, you spell Satan. And I told you before, anytime one of those fools says stuff like that, I'm, I sit there for the rest of the sermon doing jumble with their name, trying to figure out what I can make their name say, some random foolishness like that. But I, I, I don't think the Santa Claus is the devil, but I will tell you that song they gave him only really applies to Jesus. It said, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. I'm going to tell you, you better start doing the right thing. Because God's got a case on you. Ooh, God has got a case on all of us. And we need to do the right thing. So we got to figure out, well, what is right? Then we got to figure out, I hope you can answer this. Right according to who or whom? According to God. God gets to decide what the right thing is. Not you. And that's hard for some people. Because some people just want to do what they want to do anyway. But listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his works are done in truth. We got to find out what the right thing is to do so we can do it. 
Anybody want to take a guess looking at this verse where you can find what God says the right thing is? In that book, in His Word. You need to get into the Word and let the Word get into you so it can begin to affect the way you live and create change in your life. So what is the right thing? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, this is a portion of Scripture that God gave through Moses to the people of God. And they called it the Shema. It was to be read daily uh, in the hearing of other people and alone to themselves. He said, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You know what the right thing to do is? Love God with everything. I wonder, and, and here's what's crazy. You might be so deceived in your own mind that you honestly think that you're loving God with everything that's in you. Let me say, eh. Everybody can give more. Everybody can do more. Everybody can love more. Everybody can worship more. Everybody can serve. Not me. I'm, I'm doing all. I, no, you're not. You, you've got your mind convinced of that. I've seen people walk away from churches because they, they felt like they, they, they were serving too much. Um, I'm so glad that when Jesus was carrying that cross up the hill, bleeding out of every orifice in his body, that he just didn't decide, you know what, I'm tired. Just too much. I'm, I've, I've, I've done enough. I'm going to quit right here. No, he did all that the Father required of him. And we need to learn how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's been the big one from the beginning. In Leviticus 19:18, God said, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. We got the next slide. Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. See, people think, because one of our church mottos is love God and love people, and people think that's just a New, con new Testament concept. That's not a New Testament concept. That's from a day one God commandment. God has always said, love him with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You, now, most of us know when Jesus was questioned in Matthew 22 and in other Gospels, what's the most important commandment of them all? Jesus quoted these two verses. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, and I love the way the King James says it. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Now, what that literally means was the law is everything that's ever been written about God. And the prophets is everything that's ever been said about God. So you want to know what the right thing to do is? If you love God the way he wants you to, and you love people the way he wants you to, he said, all everything that's ever been written about God, everything that's ever been said about God, hang on these two commandments. This is the right thing. So, uh, man, if I, if I had my all-in-o-meter, I'd just start with Deacon Ken, uh, and I'd just go around the room. And here's what might surprise you. Just because somebody shows up to church every time the doors open don't really mean they're all in for God. Just because somebody preaches every week don't mean they're all in for God. Just because somebody serves in the same place doesn't mean they're all in for God. Uh, well, you better be careful. God has all these old meters. on. He knows exactly how all in for God you are. And we got to do the right thing. What is the right thing? Love God. Love people. The second thing he said, love mercy. Say mercy. If you ever understood mercy properly, you'd love it. You'd have a love for mercy. You, you, uh, Seth and Jake loved mercy. They, uh, they, they sure begged for it enough. That, that when I was teaching them when they were little, 
what mercy was. It's when you don't get the punishment you deserve. And sometimes uh, I wouldn't give them the spanking they had coming to them. And they would say, I want mercy, Dad. Give me mercy. Can I have mercy? No, you're getting justice today, son. But we, as the people of God, have been commanded not just to do the right thing, but to love mercy. If you ever realize how merciful God has been to you, saved you when he didn't have to, never gave up on you when he could have, continues to love you even though he knows every bad thing you're going to do today, tomorrow, and next year, called you unto himself before you even had to audition. The mercy of God is everlasting. And you need to love it. You need to love it so much that you receive it and you give it. One, one commentator I read this week said, don't just show mercy, but love to show it. You're like your father when you show someone mercy. What they shouldn't have done, give them mercy. You reap what you sow. You ought to be so in love with the concept of mercy that you're just giving it out everywhere you go because you understand God has given to you more of it than you deserve. Give others the same mercy you want to receive from the Lord. Third thing, walk humbly with your God. Say walk. Walk is not talking about how you move your feet. It's talking about your lifestyle, your daily activity. Uh, should have humility, and it should be with God. Now, I'm going to give you a couple things. We're going to get out of here. Get this. If, if, if you miss this, you, you're not going to be able to accomplish any of this stuff. We must humble ourselves if we ever hope to please God. You can check all the boxes. You can do all the right stuff. You can be, attend all the right meetings. You can say all the right words. But if you are not humble before God, you're not doing the right thing. You missed out on the first part by not doing the, the third part kept you from being able to do the first part. Humble fellowship is what God expects. So he says, walk with God. Amos 3 3 says, two can't walk together except to be agreed. You can't walk with God and your own ideas. Well, my ideas are good. Well, there's good and then there's God. And if your ideas are God ideas, then they're not really your ideas. You're following God's ideas. You cannot walk with God and your own agenda. Jesus told people, if you're going to follow him, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to die to yourself and come alive to God's plan for your life. Do you agree with God's plan for your life? Mm. Oh, if we had more time. I'd, I'd just ask about your current situation right now. You know, God's got you there for a reason. You might be feeling like the psalmist. How long, oh Lord? How long? How much longer? Listen, God's got us, got us where he's got us for a reason. Embrace your space. Get through your challenge. Go through your test. Build a testimony. James 4.10 said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, everybody wants to be exalted. Even the shyest, most introverted person in the world, they want elevation from God they want God to elevate them and I have found in my life through reading the scripture and my own personal experience and the experience of other people that you can humble yourself or God will humble you so he tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord listen if you don't humble yourself God's going to humble you 
and, and understand the difference. If God humbles you, that is humiliating, that is painful, and that is costly. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Can you see one's better than the other? James 4, 6, God said, He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He didn't say he gives grace to the complainer. He didn't say he gives grace to the negative Nancy. He didn't say he gives grace to the bitter. He didn't say he gives grace to the person who thinks they know everything. He gives grace to the humble. you got to walk humbly with your God. God requires it. In Psalm 147.6, the Bible says, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. If you want God to embrace you, if you want God to wrap his arms around you and take you up to where he is, you better find some humility. You can be bold and humble, and you can be quiet and proud. Humility doesn't demand volume or lack thereof. It's all an issue of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Ouch. And who humbles himself will be exalted. Can you see God says the right thing? Do the right thing. First piece of advice, walk humbly with God. Third piece of advice, you can't accomplish the right thing without being humble before God. First Peter 5, 6 says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You want to know when you're going to cross over? Come on, Victor. You want to know when you're going to have your transition? You want to know when it's going to stop being so hard? You want to know when your breakthrough is going to come? You want to know when you're going to get out of this tough season of life that you're in? When you do the three things that God has required of you. Jesus said his people are guilty of rejection and rebellion. This is thousands of years ago. Jesus how, how, how do we still do that today? Well, Jesus says, come unto me, and most people go their own way. That's rejecting him. Je Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. You want God to be closer in your life? He's standing at your heart's door knocking. See, a lot of churches use that for a salvation verse, for salvation. That's not talking to lost people. Jesus ain't, ain't knocking on their heart's door to save them. That's talking to God's people who already know him. He's outside. He's knocking on your door. He's asking you to let him in. But we reject him so we can go our own way, so we can do our own thing. God says, obey my commandments. But we rebel. And we do our own thing. So let me close by asking these same questions of you that God asked thousands of years ago and still relevant today. What has God done so bad in your life that it's caused you to get tired of serving him, pursuing him, following after him? What, 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 what thing has, how has God wronged you? If you think you have an answer, your answer is faulty. Just like it's faulty when someone says, well, ain't no church like hurt, church hurt. Well, Pastor, I used to serve in the church, but you know, I got that church hurt. The church has never hurt anybody. People inside churches have hurt each other. But the church is ordained by God. The church is a spotless bride of Christ. You, you don't have to wait on the church to get 
without spot or without blemish. The church is already without spot or without blemish. People got spots and blemishes. God has done nothing to deserve our negativity. God has done nothing to deserve our rebellion. God has done nothing to deserve our rejection. God has done nothing to deserve our bitterness. Let me ask you another question. I really want you to think about this. Has God ever done anything good for you? I mean, if I just came around the room right now and I said, tell me one thing that God has ever done good in your life. Because the majority is most of God's children got a pile of complaints against them. They don't speak them out loud. But they erode the fabric of their life. And they cause them to reject God and rebel against God and have God put a case out against them. If God's ever done anything good for you, you ought to still be shouting about it. It's easy to think about how hard life is. Anybody ever felt like life was hard? This job, this, this calling that God has put on my life for the last 40 years has taken a toll and paid a heavy price. I had to put my desires last. I had to put my children last. I had to leave my kids and go chase other people to try to help them. My kids have wondered. Why, 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 why do you chase after people? Dad, they're, they're, just, they're just all, all going to do what they want to do anyway. And I tell them, I don't do it for the people. I do it for the Lord. And God has done so much good for me. If I'll be honest about how much good God has done for me, you won't have to encourage me to open my mouth and give him praise. You won't have to encourage me to show up at church. You won't have to incur, you, you won't have to beg me to give money because the light bill is due. These things would just be my heart's desire. If you think about anything, if you don't believe God's ever done anything good for you, you are certainly unsaved and without heaven as your home. And you need to let God do that big thing, that big good thing for you. And that is to save your soul. Because we deserve worse. Than what we've got we're guilty of rejecting god and rebelling against him in spite of his goodness this was his charge in spite of every good thing i've done for you you're still not following me with all your heart soul mind and strength in spite of all the the stuff that i've helped you out of you're rejecting me and you're not living the way i've told you to live they said what should we offer god to pay for our sins. God said it ain't a bunch of sacrifices. It ain't your firstborn, your secondborn, or anyborn. He said it's these three things. Do what is right. Are you doing what's right? Well, according to me. God's talking about according to he. Are you doing what is right with your life? See, we only have control over so many things. That's why the old church used to talk about make sure that you're giving God your time, your talent, and your treasure. You control how much time you spend with the Lord. You control whether or not you serve God, and you control how much money you give to the Lord. You can't control everything. But are you doing what's right? 
to the best of your ability. Second, do you love mercy? Does it just knock you out every time you think about how good God has been to you? I think one of the major revelations, and I know I'm long, but I want you to hear this. One of the major revelations I had early in my walk with Christ is my stepfather and my mom got divorced when I was in high school. And my stepdad uh, and I didn't get, get along. He had done a lot of bad things to our family. And he finally left. But he'd come over on the weekend to get his son. And I started hanging out in, in, in the driveway, waiting on him. After I got saved, I wanted to share Christ with this abusive stepfather that I'd, I'd hated more than I'd ever hated anybody in my whole life. And I came back in one day. He picked up my little brother, and they drove off, and my mom was fit to be tied. And I don't even know if you know how much God used you to bring this revelation to me. Probably the biggest revelation I'd had up to that point in my Christian life. She said, what, why are you out there being so nice to him after all he put us through? And I said this, and it was revelation. I said, because God showed me, if he can forgive me for all I put his son through, I can forgive David for all he put me through. Nobody has done greater wrong to you than we've done to God. The pain that Jesus felt is so unthinkable. He had had perfect fellowship with God through all eternity past, billions and billions and billions of years before this earth was created. The Father and the Son were together. And God said, you know, I want you to go down there. I want you to live in front of these people. Show them how to live right. Obey me and die to pay the price for their sins. Jesus willingly did it. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he willingly endured the cross. But he had to live every moment of every day knowing that when that time came, that he was hanging, he didn't fear the cross. He didn't fear the nails in his hand. He didn't fear the nails in his feet. He didn't fear the rejection of people. He didn't fear being misunderstood. He had to live every moment, every waking moment, knowing that on that good Friday, at high noon, God was going to place on, his, on Jesus' body all the sins of Scott Becker and Adrian and Elaine and Ken and everybody that ever lived. And Jesus had to endure the Father looking away and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did everything right his whole life. And he did it for us, knowing that God was going to look. He had never had the Father look at him or look away from him in disapproval until that moment. That's what your sin cost God. That's what your sin cost Jesus. The greatest betrayal in all the world. The, the, the greatest painful forsaking. You think you've been hurt by people? I don't believe anybody's ever suffered the pain of rejection that Jesus suffered when the Father looked away from him. And he did that for us. We need to love mercy. We need to be so grateful for the mercy God has given us, and we need to walk humbly with God. I don't know where you're at in pride. 
But I know this. If you start spending more time with God than you do your television and your phone and your tablet and your hobbies, he's going to show, him, show more of himself to you. And you're going to fall in love with him at a greater level. And you're going to be so thankful for the mercy. And when you realize God did it all. God paid the price for me to have a relationship with him. You're going to learn how to love mercy, and that's going to cause you to be more humble. See, once you start getting full of yourself, you've forgotten how great God is. We do not deserve the blood of Jesus Christ to cover our wicked sins. That's all on God's mercy. See, because I agree with what Peter said. His blood was precious blood. His blood wasn't like mine. It wasn't like yours. He was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And when that blood rolled off his brow, dripped down off his feet, and it touched the ground, the earth trembled, and graves burst open, and the whole world shook. For the blood of Jesus Christ had been spilt for sinful human beings. And if you don't live in that awareness... You'll begin to get full of yourself. You'll forget about doing the right thing. You'll forget about loving the mercy of God. And your humility will not be evident. But these things aren't optional. You want to know what God wants for you? Well, Pastor, I just want to know God's will for my life. I got good news for you, and I'm done with this. God's will for your life? Do what's right. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. That's it. It's the whole role. It's everything there is. I want to spend the rest of my life learning how to do it better. Because I don't want God to have a case against me. I want to be that grateful one. Remember when Jesus healed ten lepers. And they all went about their way rejoicing because they were out of their bad situation. And one of them came back to thank, thank Jesus for what he'd done. And he said, I healed ten. Where are the other nine? Ungrateful, not humble, not doing the right thing. Be that one. Be that one that says, thank you, Jesus. Be that one that walks humbly with your God. There's no better life, and it's the only way you can embrace the life that God has for you. You're walking around bewildered. I just don't know why. I just don't know why. Do the right thing. Embrace mercy and give it to everybody. And walk humbly believing, God, I know you know what you're doing. I know you know what you're Everybody loves to say, not my will, but his be done. Until it comes time for some difficult situation in your life and then you want your way. God knows what he's doing. Follow him. Do these three things that will change your life. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for delivering us, God. Thank you for freeing us from bondage. Thank you for giving us leaders to teach us about you so we could prosper spiritually. Thank you, God, for taking away every curse off our life. Thank you, God, for the promised land. We've seen glimpses of it, God, but we know one day, 
will be with you forever. Help that be our focus, God. Help us to love you the way we should. In Jesus' name, amen. If you Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.